welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. <laughs> and our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumlups Te Shwetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmakulu. And today's text, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, is set in Manhattan, the traditional lands of the Wappinger and Muncie Lenape peoples. Mm-hmm. Joe, mm-hmm. 2021's almost over. Indeed. And I know, I know last year when I was like, Joe, 2020's almost over. You were like, Brenna, there's no guarantee that the world's going to get better just because like the calendar clicks over. And I was <laughs> like, well, it can't get worse, Joe. Right. And anyway, then 2021. <laughs> so surely this time, Joe, surely right. this yes. time we're uh-huh. in for a win with 2022. Yeah. The third year of the pandemic slash the second times the try. That's how it works, right? It's going to be. It's got to be. Can't it? It has to. Oh, Joe. <laughs> um, yeah, look. Look, folks, we're not going to promise that anything is going to be different or better in 2022. But yeah, yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know what? We always have to hold on to the things that are happy or that are working for us or that brings us joy. And I'm going to say right off the top, it's our last episode of the year. And Brenna, I continue to derive joy from doing this podcast with you and from hearing from our listeners. Yeah, me too. I really love making this show with you, Joe. It's by far the best part of my week, most weeks. And I love hearing from listeners. So yes, this show brings me tons of joy. What about Nick and Nora, Joe? Did Nick and Nora bring you tons of joy? (sighs) I will confess, I had high hopes going into this one, particularly Mm -hmm. after, I don't want to say duds in terms of like full length episodes that we've been doing recently, but I haven't, I haven't felt the same joy in doing (laughs) some of these recent picks. And I was really looking forward to Nick and Nora because we have done several books from David Levithan and or Rachel Cohn and they're often kind of good pick-me-ups like they're fun Mm. they're flighty they're sexy and I was really looking forward to this and I unfortunately didn't love the book and I liked sections of the film a lot but neither one of them are slam dunks for me yeah me too and I think in some ways it's not quite fair to the text I was really expecting to have the kind of playful, joyful experience that I had reading Dash and Lily. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because as we talked about on the Dash and Lily episodes, those characters aren't 100% great. Like they sometimes drove us a little bit around the bend. But the books themselves, I think for both of us, really held our attention, kept moving Mm -hmm. at a really good pace, had a playfulness and a joy that we enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I was really surprised to find that that was missing for me in the book a lot of the time and in the movie some of the time Mm -hmm. i like a lot of the changes that they make for the film yes but i ultimately don't think i necessarily like all the character changes and yeah i don't know i think i had i had really high hopes that this was going to be just an extremely pleasurable read and watch and it wasn't quite yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I felt. Some of it is good, other parts of it just doesn't really connect with me. And I think, honestly, part of our struggle is that we probably overhyped this for ourselves. 100%, yes. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I overhyped it, I realized, is because I knew this. Like, I have seen this movie before, so I remembered loving it and thinking, this is just going to be such a fun rewatch, and I'm sure the book is going to be just as good. And I will confess, one of the other things I struggle with are these narratives that are encapsulated all in one day. So I'm thinking back to Everything Everything, where it's just so hard to pack any kind of emotional growth or depth in characters when you can't expect them to change over the course of 12 to maybe like 18 hours. And that's what I find here is like, yeah, sure, we have some incremental baby steps towards maturity in both Nick and Nora, particularly in the book. But at the end of the day, it's just the end of a day. Like, their whole lives are not going to change dramatically. And 
even when they do make big changes, it starts to feel a little bit false because you think, mm -hmm. oh, okay, so you met one guy and you're going to change your entire life, Nora? Okay, I guess. Well, yeah, and especially in the case of Nora, it's really just feels often like yo-yoing from one dude shaping her choices to another, which isn't super oh, satisfying. Sure. Yeah, it's her dad, and then it's Tal, and then it's Nick. Yeah, I think, okay, I'm going to do the plot summary, and yes, then... Yes, yeah, let's get into it first. Yeah, <laughs> so, because if you haven't read it, you have no idea what we're talking about, so... That is fair. <laughs> Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist came out in 2006, very popular bestseller, went on, obviously, to become a film, and the mm -hmm. story is organized in alternating perspective chapters. And you'll remember, Joe, that last time we read Conan Levithan book, we were debating whose perspective was who. Mm -hmm. They've been explicit about it with Nick and Nora. So the chapters from Nick's perspective are written by Levithan. The chapters from Nora's perspective are written by Cohn. And we start out in Nick's world, I think. He's the only straight guy in a queer core band. Mm -hmm. And... He's sort of hung, well, he's very much hung up on his ex-girlfriend. I was going to say, sort of. My well, God, gonna... Brett, it's his entire narrative arc. I was going to say he's sort of aimless. Yes, but he's... okay. And what's, well, I was about to start talking about the film. What's interesting to me is that the small amount of growth that we do get from Nick's character over the course of the novel is a sort of realization of the problems in that relationship that he is super hung up on. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have Nora. She goes to a Catholic school, mostly because she spends her life babysitting her friend Carolyn, who gets drunk everywhere and needs mm -hmm. looking after a lot of the time. The two of them are standing at the bar next to each other, and Nick sees this ex-girlfriend, and he kind of panics, and he asks Nora if she will pretend to be his girlfriend so that he can, A, avoid a conversation with his ex, B, not look like he's pining over his ex, although he is, mm -hmm. um, and C, kiss this pretty girl. And sure. so they make out, and that's basically the start of this really fa fast-paced, I texted Joe at so one point, fast. and I was like, this book feels so manic, and I'm just feeling really old, like I really need mm -hmm. these children to go home and go to bed. <laughs> Oh, sure. By the time they're making the second or third stop, like they're from this club to then another place to then another place to then like just walking around Manhattan, making out in a hotel. You're just like, children, go to bed. It is nearly done. Go to bed. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can barely make it to 10 o'clock at night most nights. So, you know. <laughs> Brenna's like, I'm tired just reading this book. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> It really was. So the the book has this frantic pace as they move from yeah. location to location, as they get separated and come back together. Mm -hmm. In a cycle that I often felt was like quite repetitive, because mm. typically it's Nora's motivation for separating the two of them that tends to repeat. And I just, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Mm -hmm. It's one night you're going to end up together. Can we just get there? Um, but some of the <laughs> moments are really great, you know. There is this very sexy scene where they're like making out in a hotel ice room. Mm -hmm. There are really sweet romantic moments, like when they end up in this Ukrainian restaurant. There's lots of lovely moments in the text. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately at the end, obviously, they end up together. The, the thing for me is I think the pacing is so frantic and the timeline so tight that I just kind of... I don't know. Lost interest is too strong a word. It's a very fast read, but mm -hmm. I found it hard to keep caring, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, about all of the things that go on in this text. I agree, if only because there just isn't that much to it either. So mm -hmm. if you're not invested in the magnetic repulsion attraction that the two of them have and their various wacky escapades, I almost got to the point where I was appreciative of other people interjecting yes. into the story because it gave us just something different to look forward to. And Which I think is the major strength of the film, is the film recognizes mm -hmm. that the relationship between the two of them is very cyclical and repetitive yes. and really intense. Like Nora's personality is a lot in particular in the book. Oh boy. Yeah. And so the film recognizes the need to share way more. It's much more of a like two groups of friends get thrown together and there's a romance mm -hmm. at the center in the film than it is just these two people. And I think that's a real strength. Yeah. There's also 
and I feel like a broken record because I keep having to bring this up, when we're talking about first-person narrators, there's also nowhere to get away from them, right? So you and I are both in agreement that Nick is, he's a bit of a dink, like he's kind of sad Mm -hmm. sack, he's so caught up in his ex and it's valuable to have her interactions like Triss's interactions with Nora because you get a sense of what her relationship was like with Nick outside of his rose-colored really love smitten glasses and that's interesting but a lot of the time with Nick you just think oh he's He's a bit of a dumb boy who just doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to get over his crush and realize, oh, she wasn't all that great. What we had was mostly in my mind and not what Mm -hmm. we actually had in real life. And then there's Nora, who is, I think, the more interesting character. But the way she is written can be very, very off-putting. Like, she can be incredibly irrational and brash and just quick to anger and so judgy. And I think a lot of it is supposed to be lovely. Oh, Oh, she's very, yeah, she's very spoiled. Because, of course, we find out she's super duper rich because Mm. her dad is a famous uh, music producer. And of course, I mean, we haven't touched on the fact that this book is very much driven by the New York music scene Mm -hmm. and all of these characters are very media literate. They're name dropping a lot of bands because that's their scene. So I do get the impression if you're a music person, this might also work better for you. Yeah, I could totally see that. I definitely was missing, clearly, a lot of the references that are going on for sure. Mm hmm. And that's okay, right? Like oh, often sure. some of my favorite books that we've read are are books that are about a culture or a subculture that I don't know a lot about. And I mm-hmm. really enjoy that usually. But there's something about, I sound like a broken record too, because I keep coming back to the pace. <laughs> but there's something about the pacing of this book that just makes it, it's hard to get a foothold in. Mm-hmm. If you don't already have one, like you're not already really, I don't know, into the scene that they're describing or you're really looking for a romance i think it's it might i don't know maybe it's just me i mean the book is really celebrated but i found it (laughs) no i was right there with you yeah (laughs) it it often feels like whiplash because we're running to one place and then we're getting into a fight or we're kissing and then we're running to another spot and you're thinking (laughs) okay whoa 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 but then there's also whole sections of just internal musing where i thought oh my gosh kids you are so stuck in your own heads about very slight problems which again teenagers it's the end of the world like relationships are everything and these two are very much on the precipice of big things right like nora has to decide whether or not she's going to brown or if she's Mm -hmm. going to run off to israel with her crappy ex-boyfriend tal or if she's going to try to take over the club that her dad doesn't want her to set foot in with her quote-unquote uncle that she's not meant to talk to anymore yeah who's her godfather i think Mm -hmm. yeah And that kind of stuff all could be interesting, but so often I found myself parsing through these long swaths of text just being like, where's the good stuff? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I was saying to you before we started recording, I am simultaneously reading what is very much a popcorn book for me. Mm-hmm. So every year around end of term when my work gets really crazy, I try to find a YA that is like not so grippy that I will not do my work to read it, but right. but engaging enough that I can, you know, when I'm up too early fretting about something, I can read 20 pages and really lose myself in it. Sure, okay. And um, so luckily for me... <laughs> Friend of the show, Becky Albertelli. <laughs> Friend of the show, you wish, Brenna. <laughs> she has, uh, she has a new one that's soon to come out. It comes out actually. I think it comes out today, December twenty eighth. So there okay. you are. Co-written with Adam Silvera again. It's a sequel to. We talked about what if it's us when I read it on the show last year, the year before. Yeah, I think. yeah. And this is the sequel. Here's to us. So queer romance, lots of literal drama one of the characters works for an off-broadway production Mm -hmm. lots of sort of can we still be friends after a relationship or is there something else here kind of thing and i was trying to figure out you know it's the exact same structure right one chapter written by one the -hmm. next chapter written by the other right moving back and forth between perspectives and stuff and i was trying to figure out why this works so much better for me than Nick and Nora does. And I think ultimately it's it's exactly that. It has space. <laughs> you uh-huh. can you can 
get into the characters. It doesn't take place over a night. It doesn't take yes. place over a long period of time. It's a summer. Mm -hmm. But it gives you enough room to get to know the characters and to let them leave one situation, process it, and move into another situation. There's time for ideas to rest and breathe. Mm. And I, I think that's really important, especially in a dual perspective text, which just can feel so frantic if you don't yeah. have any room there. So that's a recommendation from me, by the way. It's really good and it comes out really soon. And I don't think you need to have read the first book to make the second one work for you. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting, right? Because this is a structure that I love in YA. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I love it because it gives you that escape that first-person narratives often lack, yes. right? And we talked about this with The Serpent King. Like, if we had to read the whole of The Serpent King from Lydia's perspective, we wouldn't have finished it, right? Right. And then contrast that with A Walk to Remember, where we thought, ugh, this guy's the worst. And wouldn't it be great to hear somebody else's perspective? Yeah. Maybe we just can't be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem is that Nora does not provide a release valve from no. Nick in this text because they're living in each other's pockets because of the structure of it. And I think, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's my, do you like that? Do you have that for podcasting? Yeah, I don't know. Just, and then you just know what? Silence. You left me space. I know. I appreciated it. <laughs> We're here all night. So <laughs> no, I, I agree with you though, because I think the pieces that end up really connecting with me were some of the quieter moments or the moments where something about the change in perspective from either Nick to Nora or vice versa gave us some kind of fresh insight that we weren't getting. Mm -hmm. Like when they're making observations about the other one that the other one themselves doesn't even know. And you think, oh, okay, that's why they're connecting, right? Like, it's not just that they're both getting out of really bad relationships with kind of toxic people. It's that they are seeing something in the other one that no one, often even the other person themselves, sees. And mm -hmm. I love that kind of stuff because it reminds you of that fleeting youthfulness of early romances, right? Like when you're a teen, you're just looking for that spark. And when you find it it's so exciting and electrifying you're willing to stay up all night and go on a MacGuffin chase around New York and that's fun and that's exciting but it's hard in this book because yeah we it just feels like we are careening dangerously <laughs> close to the edge at every instance and you just want to be like kids sit by the fountain and have a damn conversation well I think part of it is that some of that careening really does feel quite aimless I think one of the strengths of the film is that in addition to the romance, you have this larger quest to find where's Fluffy's performance, mm -hmm. right? That is also structuring the narrative. Yes. Whereas the where's Fluffy pop-up performance in the book is just sort of yet another thing that happens. Yeah. Whereas in the film, it's a goal that all the characters are working towards. And so you have something else to follow and you, you have an actual end point in mind. Because otherwise, in the book, the end point is just these two are definitely going to end up together because it's a romance let's get but, to it <laughs> yeah why do we have to why is it taking so long <laughs> <laughs> well since you've raised the film why don't we transition over and talk about that yes let's not again oh, oh. damn it come on this is nick He's a sensitive musician. I'm not going. We have a gig, Nikki. I don't want to go. I'm taking a mental health day. Who's bad at relationships. Hey, Tris, it's Nick. I just wanted to talk to you. You know, I think we both said some things we didn't mean, like when you broke up with me on my B-Day. This is Nora. Okay, everybody in. She always plays by the rules. You have to promise me that you won't get drunk tonight. <laughs> but tonight... Nora! Alone again? I came here with someone. Who? She's going to break them. Would you be my boyfriend for five minutes? What? Please just go with it, okay? Nick! Nora! How do you guys, like, know each other? We're the same dentist. Yeah? He's good. Are you Triss's Nick? I gotta get my friend home. We'll take the drunk mess home. Woo! You two go have fun. If you touch one hair on her head, I will kill all of you! Nora, I'm being carried! Oh. oh, she'll be okay. You off duty? This isn't a cab. 
And you're off duty. Not a cab, my friend, I promise you. Yeah. Oh. I'm not a cab. I'm not a cab. I love you so much, it's retarded. Mm. <gasps> Okay, last stop. What do I owe you? Eight fifty. Charged a little extra for the cleanup. We saw it lost a girl. What? What? Where are you? I found Jesus. What? Jesus? He's much taller in person. He's hung up on Tris. Let's just say we're not the biggest fans of his ex, and we think you're the one. You dance? You know the blow dryer? Laura, come on. Hey, what's wrong? This doesn't concern you. Push me again. Oh, and what? That's it. Awesome. Awesome night. Okay, so we have the film only a couple years after the book. So yes, uh, you're not wrong in saying that the book was very much a success because it was immediately optioned. Like, I think even before it went to print because it looks like they were working on the film as early as 2003. Mm-hmm. It was a popular enough book that Conan Levithan got cameos in the film. Yeah. So it's usually a sign that... It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it is directed by Peter Sollett, and it is written by Lorraine Scafaria. And I was really interested because I recognize both their names. I can't remember off the top of my head what Peter Sollett has done, but Lorraine uh, Scafaria is the woman who would go on to make Hustlers, the J-Lo stripper crime movie. Oh. Yeah, they've actually both very much worked in adult I was going to say adult entertainment uh, <laughs> films made oh. for adult audiences. So okay. this is a bit of a rare deviation into more traditionally YA territory. Although the casting of Michael Cera and Kat Dennings in the lead roles, respectively, uh, we're talking about a little bit of aged up. These were not yeah. teenagers when they made this film. No, and the film isn't quite sure, by the way, how old they are. Mm -hmm. I noticed because Kat Dennings is still definitely in catholic school yes but michael sarah is sort of in high school at the beginning but they maybe kind of done it. He yeah just kind of hasn't shown up for school and that seems like and it's kind of like okay you guys are just gonna hand wave this away and i guess that's sure <laughs> yeah yeah because we never go to school the whole movie takes place over the course of one night so we're talking night shoots the whole time movie ends at sunrise and it's all fine. We don't need to really talk about school except for the fact that the decision looms over Nora. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So rounding out the cast, we have Alexis Dezenia as Triss, as well as Ari Grainer as Carolyn, who is the not-at-all-secret MVP of this entire enterprise. Yeah, totally. And then we also have Aaron Yu as Tom with an H, as well as Rafi Gavrin who plays Dev, and those are the two queer bandmates in the queer core band that Nick sort of plays in. And mm -hmm. I won't lie, seeing Michael Cera in a very musical, comically driven, romantic escapade, it's very hard to separate from everything Scott Pilgrim. It's a strong Scott Pilgrim vibes. You know, sort of disaffected dude playing bass in this band, and the mm -hmm. band is probably better than he is at playing bass etc etc yeah yeah and then of course we also have some fun adult cameos so we have seth myers and andy samberg because of course we are shooting in new york and they were on snl at the time and we also have john cho as a cameo mm -hmm. i enjoy him and don't forget we have jay baruchel playing tall who is very interesting in the role i think because i generally find him to be a deeply likable dude and here he is playing a deeply unlikable character <laughs> which is funny because i feel like a lot of the roles i've seen him in now is actually more representative of this character like yeah, kind of true. smarmy douchebag guys <laughs> tall is definitely that Yes. Yeah, so the film makes a couple of changes. It more or less removes all of the adults. So we never hear Nora's dad calling her on the phone. Uh, we see Nick at his house, but he has no parents. <laughs> and 
I guess the other big thing, as you alluded to, is that there's two MacGuffin escapades driving the plot, which is the quest to find Where's Fluffy? So this underground band that everybody freaking loves, they're playing a pop-up and nobody knows where. So we're going from place to place looking for clues. And then there's also Caroline's disappearance. So she gets a blackout wasted and then she wanders off after the queer bandmates are supposed to drive her home. And half of the film is devoted to tracking her down and i don't know about you but i got strong strong adventures and babysitting vibes joe i've never seen adventures no brenna oh no it is so a you movie i would like (laughs) you to watch this over the holiday break and okay is this my homework yes remember when we used to have homework Mm -hmm. you could assign me homework Okay, so yes, this is going to be a delightful homework for you. This is an Elizabeth Shue property from late 80s, I want to say. And basically, she has to babysit a pair of kids. One is like a fully (laughs) verging on adult man, late teenager, and then his (laughs) younger sister. And basically, they are in the suburbs. And then she has to go into the city, like into New York City to rescue her friend who is stranded at the bus station. And she like loses her glasses, she can't see she has all these wacky adventures with big New York personalities and uh, the whole night just turns into a series of escapades that elevate to the point where like we're doing a heist and there are like crime bosses and stuff involved this is amazing it's very very fun (laughs) but like every carolyn scene reminded me of that from the Mm. oh i'm at the bus station and i'm right over here and all you had to do was turn left and you would have seen me but instead you miss me and now the adventure continues I really liked that vibe because it gave the whole film a different energy than just focusing on the romance. Like yes. also true of the the Where's Fluffy stuff, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Where's Fluffy stuff seems kind of aspirational. Like we know kind of like in the book that they will end up together. In the film, we know that they will get to Where's Fluffy by the end of the film. And that's probably mm-hmm. where things are going to go down. And I do love that the film recognizes that we don't actually care about where's fluffy and nick and nora just walk away i (laughs) do love that part of my favorite probably my favorite part of the film i have to say okay the michael sarah question yeah here we go so joe and i've been texting about this because i'm not sure if my problem is with the casting or Mm -hmm. the depiction or just some michael sarah baggage i don't actually dislike the dude but i will say that I know that Nick in the book is hung up on Triss and is kind of a sad sack, Mm -hmm. but Michael Sarah plays sad sack with such depth um, that it was just like, (laughs) I I actually didn't read Nick as being nearly as pathetic in the book as he comes off in the film. And again, I'm not sure if that's just how Michael Sarah moves through the world or, (laughs) or if it's choices that are being made for this character in particular, but... It was a bit heavy handed for me and it took me a little while to enjoy him in the role. I did get there eventually, but Mm -hmm. I was much more interested in the bandmates and Carolyn and literally everything else in the film than Michael Sarah. Yeah, this is 100% a case of looking back on something. I remember not being bothered by this at all. I thought that he was well cast. I remember thinking that Kat Dennings was a huge star who I wasn't incredibly familiar with, and I thought they had good chemistry. And then re-watching this for the pod... I thought, okay, so this is Michael Cera giving the exact same performance that he gives in Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. that he gives in Juno. Like, mm-hmm. this is just Michael Cera being Michael Cera. And I didn't feel that when the film was released because this was one of his early film roles. Like, he had done Arrested Development, and I think it was this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's about how I feel, too. I didn't find the chemistry particularly no. persuasive between no. them either. Mm-mm. Not compared Mm-mm. to the book. Like if there's one thing, the book drove me batty Bananas. in a number yeah. of places, but the chemistry between them is extremely real in the book. Yes. And I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It's not, does not leap off the screen to nearly the same degree. No, it's more fun watching them get into trouble and then have yes. to get out of it. But if at any point you had to told me this is a pair of friends and they haven't seen each other in a decade and they're reconnecting over one wild night, 
I would have believed you. Like, if we didn't have to see them make out, I probably (laughs) would have thought they were friends. Yeah, in many ways, I think that would have worked better because the idea of these two friend groups getting thrown together and having this wacky adventure of searching Mm -hmm. for Caroline and trying to find the band, that's actually enough. I mean, at that point, it's not really an adaptation of Nick and Dora. I understand that. But I think I might have enjoyed that film more. Yeah, I I wonder if part of this is just it's hard for us as adults to conceive of having one of these nights where you meet someone, the connection is instant, and then you spend the rest of the night chasing after the romantic feelings. Like the cringy sounds exhausting to me. Yeah, like the the dead tortured adult in me just goes, oh, yeah, that is exhausting. No, thank you. You know what? I would like to meet you for coffee. We can take it from there. I will not be chasing you in a van. I will not be going to the bus depot. I will not be experiencing my first orgasm in my father's recording studio. <laughs> the, the lack of chemistry in the lead up to that scene in particular, I was like, mm. Mm. That's also the part of the film where I find the pacing really suffers because so yeah. much of the early parts of the film are that slightly whiplashy we're going here we're going there we're having an adventure this person's being introduced and then when it settles down to actually unpack the chemistry i just go oh but they don't have any and i don't want to do this anymore it's also one of those gun left on the table kind of moments because in the recording studio they oh yeah semi-accidentally record Mm -hmm. they record nora's orgasm yeah but there's no payoff in her dad's studio, but there's no payoff for that. And Mm-mm. it's like, okay, are you guys going to deal with this later? Or is your dad coming into work at nine? Like, what is happening here? It's a very, very bizarre choice to the point where I thought, should I stick around and see if there's a post credit <laughs> sequence? But that is not a thing in 2008. No, it was really, it was really odd. And it's one of the casualties of killing off the parents so entirely is that... (laughs) To be clear, they're uh, not dead. They're just not in this film. (laughs) No, they're not in the film at all. Which, you know, is part of the confusion around the age, because like, if Mm -hmm. they're in their early 20s, okay. But if they are teenagers, someone's mom is going to call and check in and see if they're dead. Absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, that scene in particular, it was like... The dad is useful because there's a recording studio here. And obviously the dad is useful for showing how gross Tall is, right? Because the only mm-hmm. reason Tall wants to get back with Nora is for access to her dad. Yeah. And those scenes play really well. They do. There are these moments where there's sort of functional chemistry when Tall is so gross and yes. Nick actually like steps in and punches him or headbutts mm-hmm. him or whatever. Like those scenes... I actually believed the connections between the characters in those scenes, and I thought they were really well done. Um, but yeah, no, there's just this recording floating out there in the ether. It's very mm-hmm. much an unfired gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also a gross one, a gross unfired gun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess part of me appreciated that it's not that they meet each other and they have full-on sex, like, this is clearly a first base, second base, no, second base example of sexual innuendo, right? Because we're not really seeing anything. We're focusing on the audio recording, but we obviously know what's going on. And I thought, okay, you know what? Yeah, if you're a teenager and you want to do more than kiss, you're probably not going to go straight to sex, but mm-hmm. you might get some hands and other body parts involved. And for me, I thought, okay, in 2008, in a North American big budget film release, well, big budget, like 11 million, but big budget for a teen film, uh, I appreciated the progressive sexuality. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I really do agree with that. Uh, so one thing I did not appreciate was the absolutely egregious use of the R word. Yeah, are we ever finding that in texts from the mid-2000s, hey? They're um, present. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that was an addition, because it's not in the book, incidentally. Not in the book, no. No, we added those in. Mm -hmm. They felt right to someone. Now, I suspect that has to do somewhat with the fact that these were overnight shoots, and a lot of the dialogue was not, in fact, scripted. There's a lot of, yeah. like, improvised banter, and I suspect that has something to do with it, which is not an... By the way, that's not an excuse. If no, anything, no. it's a bit of a condemnation. Um, but I think that that's why it appears ineffective and uh, jarring. 
Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, this is just another example of things where we look back on them and say, oh, this was completely normalized behavior at the time. And now it is absolute cringe. Like I, I found it so jarring every time it happens and then it keeps happening. And yeah, it just kind of took me right out of the film. And I thought, okay, good. You know what? Because this is proof that we have moved the dial forward. Like, I don't like to hear that word. And when I hear it repeatedly, I'm just like, blah. Yeah, yeah. I it, it is a good reminder that we have changed. Mm-hmm. And also, man, it's 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 in a lot of these movies. Yeah, it really is. This like five year period from the late aughts into the early teens, because I remember we had this exact same conversation when we talked about me and Earl and the dying girl. And it's like mm-hmm. 2013. Yikes. I, I will say one of the other things that I didn't love, and this is just me being kind of whiny about representation but i thought it very very funny that this movie got a bunch of queer awards from like glad for the depiction of its queer characters and i was like these characters are not good people (laughs) we didn't need to settle for this they're not bad like they're not offensive they're barely in it it's very much like hey gay (laughs) yeah exactly and well and they're used entirely as in the book this is a complaint that i have in the book especially considering david levithan's the one writing it Mm -hmm. these are very much gay men who are used to show that the straight guy is open yes right like it's like it's like how bad could nick possibly be all his best friends are gay Mm -hmm. and it's like oh okay but um do those yeah. gay people have any qualities of their own or are we no. just having them stand in for what? It's like a, a weird, hey, let's have queer representation, but they're only here to advance the narrative of the dominant culture. Yes. And I will confess, it made me like Nora less, particularly in the book, because we're constantly having to hear her justification for how she knows that Nick is or is not oh my queer. No, 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 no. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. To know whether he is or is not a mo? Yeah, Which I was no like, mo is what she calls him until she learns his name. 2006? Were uh-huh. we still doing that? Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And again, like, I, I don't want to say, oh, burn this book. This book no, is awful. That's what it's we're just saying, more. But it is cringe. Oh, okay. That's not great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's quite cringe. And it does change your perception of the character, right? And mm-hmm. I think there are some people who would say that's unfair for it to change your perception of the character, but I don't know what to tell you. It's just what happens. <laughs> I will say I am very open to hearing from listeners who are Jewish, because I'd be interested mm-hmm. to know, like I know in the film, there's actually like a grossy kind of slur that nick throws at her Mm -hmm. he says that he heard it from tris because they go to school together Mm -hmm. and i was like "Ooh, okay i don't like that but i don't know Mm -hmm. if it's considered like a jewish slur or not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's jap by the way Mm -hmm. and I guess I'd just be curious to know if Nora's a particularly good or relevant example of a young Jewish woman from this time period. Like, that's where we were. That's not bad. Or is it, uh, no, thank you. You're getting at an interesting change between the text and the film, though, in that... Okay, so two things. Number okay. one, <laughs> in the book... Nora uses that phrase, but she uses it to describe herself. And there's no version of Book Nick who I imagine hurling that at her. Mm -hmm. Book Nick is a lot kinder. Like, they're straight up mean to each other in the film. And sometimes it's funny. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just like, this is really getting in the way of you guys developing any chemistry. Yes. And the other thing that I didn't like... So... Nick's character in both book and film has the tendency to be extremely passive, but I feel like the Mm -hmm. film takes it to, like, the next level. Right. In the film version, Nora is sort of pursuing Nick from the beginning, right? Yes, yes. There's a lot less happenstance and a lot less accident and a lot more Nora wants to kiss that boy. Yeah, she's got good agency. And Nora's the one who does the, like will you pretend to be my boyfriend thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I dislike Nora having agency, because I don't at all. I dislike Nick having so little agency in the film version. And I think it comes back to just the passivity of Michael Sarah's performance in general, that that added level of passivity is just like, 
it's like a bit much. Yeah, it's human doormat, the character. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So maybe one final thing, and then we could move on to some YA bingo for the last time this year. So, Brenna, I'm going to give us a bit of a pat on the back, because even though we made fun of ourselves when we were introducing this a couple of weeks ago, and yes, the book and the film are very clearly set at Easter, but there is a little sprinkle of Christmas cheer when they go to the (laughs) queer cabaret and we get a musical number of drag queens doing Christmas songs. (laughs) This is a total push, and I'll give it to you. Okay, okay. Well, you know what? I I deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have two pieces of trivia again. You want to hear them? Is one of them that they recorded voiceover and then didn't yes. use it? And I'm so glad. Yes, I was going to say, I know one thing that will make you like this movie more. <laughs> oh boy, smart decision. And thank goodness. And honestly, I can't think of what it would have added. No. Mm-mm. My other piece of trivia is that this book was actually in production as a film before the book even came out and the original team this went through two teams before it actually made it to the screen and the original team that had the rights to it and that wrote a script for it was um the brothers who made about a boy and american pie oh the whites brothers yeah yeah oh hmm I know, I can't decide. Because I think the about a boy vibe is exactly right, and the American yes. Pie vibe is exactly wrong. <laughs> yeah. And would we have gotten something in the middle, or would we have gotten one on the, the more zany sex comedy side? Yeah. Anyway, just an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, I do love those alternate timelines where you think, oh, what would that version look like? There's another world out there that got that. Yeah, and I know. I'm sure it would just be different. Maybe not better. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) All right. Shall we play some YA bingo? Yes, let's. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right. So what do you have? Okay. So I have obviously perfect date. Oh, gosh. Yes. It's just one long perfect date. And obviously borrowed time. Mm Mm-hmm. And queer, extremely secondary characters. So extremely queer and so extremely secondary. <laughs> it's true. Um, musicality. Mm-hmm. Because obviously it's really music-y. Yeah. I was going to give good friendships for the book version because I actually do really like Nick's friendship with his friends. Not really from Nick's perspective. Like, I don't think those friendships tell us much about Nick. But mm-hmm. I love the way Dev in particular really wants Nick to get over Triss and he'll do basically anything to make that happen, including drive Nora's friend back to New Jersey. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, it's frustrating in a kind of like, oh, this is Cinderella's entourage doing anything to get her to the ball. But also, yeah, the depth of that friendship is real. Like you can tell that Dev is just like, Okay, my friend needs to get over this, and you're the best thing that I've seen in a while. Please help him. <laughs> exactly. So I really liked that aspect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you go. Okay. I'm going to say, unfortunately, hollow romance, because mm. these two leads just do not have chemistry in the film. No, they don't. Um, I'm curious if you would agree that either or maybe both of these characters are kind of manic pixie dream people because they are everything to the other person. Like, they come in, they magically solve all of the problems in a single night. Yeah, I think there's a definite argument to be made. It's the rescue factor, right? The fact that Nick rescues Nora from both Tall and these kind of bizarre futures that don't really fit her. Mm-hmm. Although it's really her dad who saves the letter, by the way. Um, right. And Nora saves Nick from Triss, obviously. So yeah, I think yeah. there's an argument to be made. Yeah, and then I guess it's a question of whether we can call the cameos stunt casting, but they very clearly were like, hey, these are big people in New York, mm-hmm. let's give them bit parts. Well, and it's almost a bit of stunt shooting, right? This was part of a movement in the mid-2000s to bring films back to new york city that had left Mm -hmm. to film in toronto and say they were being new york city right i don't know there's nowhere to put that on the board but i think that that's an important (laughs) note to make like this really is new york and that i think is important to how the film looks and feels which is a real strength absolutely yeah even though more than half this cast is populated by canadians yes it really is to the point where i was like oh my goodness this is a lot of canadians this must be shot in toronto no they let them all cross the border I guess. Yeah, we were still doing that back then. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
So the final one that I have is musicality for the aforementioned Christmas queer cabaret number because it is like a full on and and obviously in the book there's a certain element of musicality because we are name dropping bands we're talking about mixtapes and so on. Well and the the whole book has this rhythm of a playlist about it right that I think is important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh you mean the the title? (laughs) (laughs) Which we've not really talked about at all, but yeah, yeah. No, we haven't. No, it's true. We're not gonna. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I, I think we can make an argument for road trip. It's a weird yeah. kind of road trip, but it the is. car is important, just like in a road trip. I will say, I love in the film the emphasis put on the Yugo. Yeah. I do really enjoy a lot of absurd comedy moments, like when the couple gets in because they mistake him for a cab. <laughs> it's a and cab. it's just I do so love uncomfortable. Scene. Love yeah. it. And he keeps trying to get them out, and then he just goes with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the the woman in that pairing is actually the screenwriter. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's her cameo. <laughs> Jeepers! <laughs> I mean, you get to make out with Seth Meyers, so sure. All right. Uh, okay. So that is actually a line down the center. Oh, so it is. Oh, well done, us. <laughs> Uh, surprisingly not as tropey as I expected this to be when we no, first walked we in. Yeah, I, I agree. I was expecting it more tropey in both book and film. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, that didn't make it more compelling. <laughs> Who knows? No, no, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. So, Brenna, this wraps up 2021 for us. <sighs> wow. Yeah. New year. Hey, yeah. it's over. Good work, mm-hmm. everybody. <laughs> you know what? You made it. And whether or not you think things are going to change, you can at least have the disposition that we are going into something new, even if it just means changing a calendar over. Which is maybe enough right Mm now. Yeah. As we look ahead to the new year, you'll want to be reading When Dimple Met Rishi, because we're going to check out that series on Netflix, which is called Mismatch. Joe, I'm very excited for this one. Yeah, because this is not an English language adaptation, Brenna. I am so interested to see how this is going to go. So Indian American Story, Daisy's Story, set now, though, in India. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for this. We often see the reverse. We rarely see this. And I'm stoked that Netflix actually promoted it enough that it made it onto my feed because I'm, (laughs) yeah, I'm a big fan of the book. I think folks know I've read these books and really enjoyed them. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's going to be in two weeks time. And then our first mini sewed back for the new year is going to set the tone for book club for the entirety of 2022. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the most recent spate of book bannings that's happening particularly across the US. Because as always, book bannings particularly impact literature for young people. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that. And then I'm actually really excited to roll out what we're calling the banned book club. We're going to read a banned book every month, Joe. Yes, I love this. This idea that we're going to talk about controversial and contentious, often for no reason, books on the monthly. And also it's an opportunity to promote because a lot of these books are relatively new. Like we're going to read some classics, but I think we're also going to read some of the books that are in the popular consciousness that are Mm -hmm. currently being banned. And we're going to talk about them. It's also an opportunity to say a big old F you to the people who are doing the banning by supporting these authors, buying the books, talking about them, sending good vibes. Yes, I'm really excited. And you know, it's only picking up steam right now. Um, yeah. At the height of this so much. wild culture war right now. And I think that, um, I don't think anyone who listens to this show is going to be surprised at where we stake our flags. But mm-hmm. I think it's important that we spend some energy really challenging this current yes. moment, especially because we love books and literature and art for young people. And we think it's important. Uh, yeah. And especially the titles that are being targeted it's often for reasons that this show is very actively in support of. Like, we mm-hmm. are pro-sexual health, we are pro-women, we are pro-people of color, we are pro-Indigenous, and those are the books that are on the front line of this culture war. And it's dumb, and I hate it, and I'm really <laughs> excited to have conversations about it. 
Me too. So our first mini-sode of the new year, we'll talk about this issue and why it's so important to us and we'll share some resources, but we'll also outline what we're going to be reading this year and I'm stoked for it. <laughs> Reasons to get excited for 2022. <laughs> so if you have thoughts you want to share with us between now and then, you can find us at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. If you've got something longer to send, you can send it to HKHSPod at gmail.com. And yeah, I guess take care of yourselves. It's weird. It's the end of the year, but we're just rolling back into another episode. So I don't really know why I'm being all weird. But Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> So between now and the next time we talk to you, drink some champagne if that's the kind of thing you're into. I personally am going to be spending New Year's Eve curled up in my basement with my little family watching the new season of Queer Eye. Pretty excited that it drops on New Year's Eve. Okay. <laughs> Those okay. are my big plans. Yeah. Joe's probably going to do something like real and actual and social with real human beings. Uh, I mean, no, because the way things are going, it's like <laughs> it's probably true. not super safe to be spending time around people. I also dislike, actively dislike New Year's Eve. It's one of my least favorite holidays of the year. So I will probably hunker down and prepare for my annual tradition of New Year's Day, watching as many Bond films, Jason nice. Bourne films, or <laughs> Mission Impossible films as I possibly can. That is a good tradition. That is a way yeah. to set your year off right. Yeah. Folks, if you've got a cool New Year's tradition you want to tell us about, please do. We'd love to hear it or how mm -hmm. you're making it through these holidays. And if you're doing okay, we always love to hear from you. And uh, you're a really important community to us. So yeah. until next year, Ooh. I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Some of it is good. Other parts of it just doesn't really connect with me. And I think maybe... <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Still going. Yeah, and, and in, on, in... Sorry. And I don't know about you, but I got strong. Strong. Shoot, I've forgotten it. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to draw it out and be like, you'll remember it, you'll remember it. It's, okay. <laughs>